Um, so yeah, I'm Nathan Waters. Uh, so I'm going to quickly just go through uh, why I think automation is the catalyst for a transition to a new economy, um, and, I, and why I think there only be a very short two years between when automation is chaotic enough and when governments introduce a basic income and it's capitalism as usual. Um, <laughs> so let's get back into it. So yeah, Nathan Waters, uh, so my background is, uh, so yes, yeah, I started Citizen Ethereum Meetup and Hackathon, which is the Hackathon competition, and now I'm working on a project called Peerism, um, you know, kind of peer-to-peer-ism, you know, peer -peer it hasn't got all the negative connotations and stigmas of all the other isms that have <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not corrupted yet. <laughs> um, so yeah, peers no dog. So I'll just quickly go through like some of the, the issues, I guess, with um, uh, with the workforce. I mean, I'll, well, I'll quickly go through these so I can explain what my project actually is. I think we already know a lot of the issues with the, the current system. So you know, part-time work is, is on the increase, full-time work is decreasing. Um, it's basically really hard to get a job. Um, so yeah, so wages have been stagnant since like the 1970s and decoupled from productivity. Uh, jobs suck. <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, I've always thought of nine to five jobs as a, as a form of slavery. Um, you know, not quite as bad as slavery, but you know, wage slavery. Um, and if you look at the figures, anywhere from 50 to 80% of people hate their jobs in Australia, the UK, and the US. Um, you can look up those figures. And then we've got automation. So automation is coming to basically take away more of those jobs. Um, and like, why do we, I guess that point. So um, I think the clearest example of automation happening in, in the near future is going to be obviously like uh, self-driving cars, self-driving trucks. So in the US alone, 3.5 million people are employed in the trucking industry and another 3.5 million kind of in ancillary roles. And if you look at some of the stats in the manufacturing industry, so I think from like 2000 to 2010, 5 million US jobs were lost as a direct result of, of automation. Um, and when we tend to think about automation, we tend to think of like, you know, uh, very mechanical type work, very manufacturing work. Um, but I think what's actually going to happen, and a lot of people don't really realize it, I think white collar jobs are likely to be automated far faster than a lot of the physical jobs. Because what's coming next is AI. Um, and AI is really good at basically taking a giant data set, just watching things. So AI, really, you're talking about narrow AI, where they feed it a whole bunch of data, and they just have it compete against itself. So this is an example of Dota. Uh, it's like a video game. And it recently beat Dendi, who was the best player in the world at that, 1v1. Um, completely obliterated him. And it learned to play it from, from, from start to beat him in two weeks. Um, and in that two weeks, it, placed, it played like, lifetimes, multiple lifetimes of, of, of playing this game. And so with AI, they, they usually test these things in video game environments, in gaming environments, just because it's very quick to iterate and they can see feedback quite quickly. Um, but the general goal is to create a general purpose algorithm where you just throw it at a problem, you have it watch that problem, watch the human do it, and then it learns how to do that problem itself. So with white collar jobs, I mean, what are we doing most of the time? The most, most of the population is in service-based white collar jobs. We sit in front of a computer all day and we, we basically manipulate data. That's all we're doing. So AIs are perfect at doing that. If eventually, and there's already companies out there that are doing it now, that it will just sit there and watch you on your computer all day, learn what you do, and then learn how to do your job far better than you possibly can. And you get some, you get some organizations, so like the PR line from Google and Microsoft and the other big companies that is that, well, it won't replace jobs, it'll just kind of change our jobs. It'll, it'll automate the tasks. Shrink them. Yeah, it'll auto automate the tasks that we you know, don't want to do, the typical repetitive tasks, which will allow open up our time to do other things. And 
yes, definitely inside Google and Microsoft where they have billions of dollars in revenue. And if, if any of their staff starts getting automated, they'll have you know, multiple product lines to push them onto. They'll be able to retrain them, all this other thing. But where the, the bigger, wider impact is the, the external businesses, the competing businesses. So another thing you might hear is that, well, Amazon doesn't take away jobs. It, it, it adds jobs. It's, it's actually, if you look at the number of people they're employing, it's increasing. So they employ like a quarter of a million people now. Yeah. But what's happening to the retail sector? <laughs> it's gone. So, you know, they, these things might, they'll, they'll definitely happen in little sects and little like uh, niches, but it'll have a wider impact. And so I think this is going to happen quite fast and faster than people expect. And why do we fear AI? Well, and automation. Well, ultimately, it just comes out to ownership. Um, <laughs> who owns the AI, AI? Who owns the robotics? I mean, we, as a, as a human species, we should be seeing automation as a liberator of, of our work time and to give us more leisure to you know, decouple us from having to work for income. Mm -hmm. The problem is we all inherently know that if you lose your job, what happens to your salary? It simply switches from the cost column for your employer to the profit column. And if at the moment they implement automation, suddenly they become more competitive and so their competitors have to do it. So you get this snowballing effect. And I think ultimately it's this, you know, <laughs> automation is bad societally because if you end up with a huge unemployment rate and nothing to kind of like help people, you know, feed and eat and you know, feed themselves and shelter themselves, you end up with things like what happened in Greece with all the, um, uh, all the austerity measures and massive unemployment rates. Like I think it was 40 or 60% youth unemployment and similar things happening in Venezuela now. So some of the solutions that are being like talked about, uh, I'll just quickly go through why some of them are in inadequate. Like four day work week, awesome, it should happen. That's the easiest one. Three. Yeah, then go, go three days, then go two days and, and spread out the wealth. Um, robot tax, uh, Bill Gates loves this. Sounds good, it's impossible to implement. I mean, what are you taxing? You'd have to literally go around and tax every single robot and every single piece of software in the world all at once. Because if you do it in one country, then business will just move to another country where it doesn't have it. Job guarantee that the working class type people would seem to love this idea, the idea that uh, you basically use public money um, and you essentially just create new money to then pay for public service, service, sector, service sector jobs so that everyone has a job. Would be great in the, in the short term, but I think it ends up to like committee created bullshit jobs at some point where they're just like, oh crap, we're gonna give this person a job, uh, I'll give them that. Basic income, awesome idea. I think it'll be a massive liberator and allow people to work on what they wanna work on. My big caveat with that is, okay, so one, if it's issued by a central government, which it probably will be if it's implemented, that gives the central government massive control over the population um, because it basic income by itself doesn't solve who owns the AI and the automations, nor does it give people a purpose necessarily or help them guide the, in the direction of purpose. So you'll end up with a situation where there's still the elite and the majority are living on a basic income. So if you're a future politician, all you need to do is raise or lower um, that income to control the masses. Uh, another issue is that it could end up in privatization of all these services. It's like, well, you know, why do you need free, free healthcare when you've all got money? Go just buy it from the corporations. That's another option. Um, and yeah, it just doesn't solve wealth inequality. I also think uh, government is just not a solution. I, I, don't, I think relying on government to fix these massive grand scale problems is going to be a very hectic and difficult time. <laughs> and, and the other big issue with, with government is like, you know, even if you do change their policies or you create a new political party and you gain the power, now suddenly you're just as corruptible. You're in that new power slot, which is why blockchain is so amazing because it devoids people having power over things. So ultimately, the issue is capitalism, making future spinners. <laughs> and we all know about the wealth inequality thing that that causes. 
So what I what I'd love to see eventually is is, uh, and I think this is where a lot of the blockchain decentralization space is kind of moving towards, either a peer to peer economy or a, or a libertarian authoritarian, you know, dystopia. Um, technology can go both ways. So a peer to peer economy where everyone kind of uh, is their own person, is has their own individual empowerment. They they have their own financial freedom. Um, we decouple this employer employee relationship, and we decentralize a lot of our entities. Um, so we have more of a network society. We can still ex have everything we've, we've come to you know, love about capitalism, like all the ability to do complex projects and move a lot of progress and things forward. We can still have that, but just in a more um, collaborative, kind of self-organizing way. But how do we do that? So how do we transition from, I mean, I, I don't want to create a blueprint. I don't like, I think we've heard this a lot this weekend, like you can't possibly create a top-down blueprint. Like what well, the very first thing we need to focus on is what's the first transition step? Because you know, we can, we can sit around and talk all, all year about what would be the best public <coughs> system, but unless there's some motivation and incentive to move the masses across, it won't happen. Um, so I really want to uh, enable everyone to become a freelancer. I think that's the first point. If you can decouple people from their jobs and enable them to become a freelancer, that's where things will get interesting. Obviously, the freelance gig at the moment is terrible and exploitative to workers. So, But what we need to do is... Purism. <laughs> um, so purism is a um, it's a blockchain-based economic protocol that essentially helps uh, attempts to quantify people's skill sets, which includes their skills, their interests, and their passions. So we can then match work automatically to them, so that hopefully they have enough money to um, to be independent from jobs, from nine to five jobs, which gives them more freedom to explore their other passions. Uh, so this is where we use the blockchain. The blockchain is amazing because it decentralizes things. Um, it it's, enables you to build something that can never be shut down by any government or any corporation. And really, it is a, it is a commons. Um, and so if you're looking to develop an economy, this is where it's at. It also pairs capital with this whole idea. And capital is, the, is a huge driving force at the moment because we're in a capitalist society. Um, the blockchain ecosystem has hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars. There are projects that raise like $30 million in 30 seconds, like $250 million in a day. Um, so if you want to push a project forward, this is where you've got to go. And really my focus with purism is, so I, I think the average person, like we, we all obviously have ideologically, ideological concerns about the economy and politics and where we think it should go. My hunch <laughs> is that the average person honestly doesn't give a shit about those things. They, on a day-to-day -day basis, I feel like the core incentive, the core kind of psychological drive for them is how do I feed myself, how do I house myself, how do I, you know, pay for my, my family's livelihood. So if we can focus on giving them money, that's where it's at. So with Purism, we're using <laughs> cryptocurrency in a way that isn't just about like money. I mean, like a Bitcoin's worth four grand and you know, Ethereum's worth 400 bucks. What does that really say? Um, what we want to do is basically take the whole token cryptocurrency concept and have users create their own currency for the skills that they want to um, level up, a bit like a game. Um, so if you've ever played like a role-playing game where you, you know, get points, you get experience for each thing you do. What we want to do is have a system where it almost becomes like a bit of a decentralized resume. So if you want to become really good at 3D printing, you then go and join the, the decentralized 3D printing community on whatever apps plugged into this <coughs> protocol. And you then do tasks for each other and engage in those communities and earn 3D printing tokens. These tokens have a floating value, so you want to earn them because you know, just like people want to buy Bitcoin and buy Ethereum early because they might go up in value. So we're leveraging the profit motive for people to want to get into this system to make money, to earn an income. But while they're doing that, they're actually um, kind of quantifying and ranking themselves and their skill sets. 
so we can then start matching tasks to them automatically. Um, so in the example might be, you might have 9,000 3D printing tokens, you might have 4,000 design tokens, 2,000 whatever tokens, 500 fidget spinner tokens, um, and it makes, it makes a better economy that uh, is actually self-aware of what we're good at. Like right now, if you compare someone who has a million dollars and someone who has one dollar, from a macroeconomic point of view, it, it, it says nothing about them. It says nothing about their passions, their interests, or their skills. So why don't we make a protocol where it's embedded into the economy and it, it knows in a quantified way what we're good at. Nathan, just maybe one more minute and then we'll go to some Q&A. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we can match things automatically. It's a protocol, so it's not just another app, it's not just another silo database, it's not just another you know, freelancer upload platform. It's a, an embedded protocol that anyone can plug into without permission. And then phase two is really about like, well, we've got tasks coming in and they're being distributed out to the right people. We can have a common zone bot marketplace that tries to automate those tasks. So we're essentially creating a profit-driven marketplace to own the means of automation uh, by creating the means of automation so that they're in the hands of the commons and no one, um, for, uh, so we can then share those profits from automation back into the community as a form of decentralized basic income. Nice. And yeah, so it's all about profit-driven incentives to lead to more collaborative outcome. Oh. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. Sharing. <laughs> Last slides. Uh, so then we can do, once we've got that in place, that foundation, then we can do more exciting things. Then we can start you know, exploring, okay, how do, we, how do we organize ourselves a bit better? Once we've got this foundation where we're free from you know, nine to five slavery and we've got financial freedom, we've got this, this aspect of, of, of sharing. Um, so if you, got, if you want to check out some of my other ideas, I had this, it's kind of like philosophy of like social decentralism, which is pretty cool. Um, so check out those, or otherwise check out Here's My Dog. So thank you. So thanks, Stephen, and, and to everybody. The the idea of moving from the existing capitalist model to a peer-to-peer -peer model relies on basically ending the employment relationship. So it's sort of like there's two models, one's utopian, one's dystopian. Well, I mean, I can't see why the core features of capitalism, that is large corporations and people who work for large corporations, is altered by any of this. And it's no coincidence, I think, that 250 of the largest corporations have already signed up. Especially the big banks. Because basically, it's just a way of decentralising but uh, you know, the DRB project is all about decentralisation. That's that's yes. the Nevada. So I don't see how it's challenging the existing capitalist model. Yeah, and there's been a lot of, I mean, like any technology, there's the good and the bad side. Um, there's a lot of people talking about how almost like the first stage of, of this movement will be a crypto-authoritarian corporate dystopia. <laughs> but then once that's in place, I mean, I mean, once a business, uh, de a corporation decentralizes its back end, essentially, it's almost like it's almost like helped us push it to the next edge, where it's just like, okay, well, your entire infrastructure is now decentralized. There's no one really in control. You're just a brand and a, and a UI. So it's then, a Trojan horse. Yeah, that's it's, it's what, a Trojan horse for capitalism. So one of my posts was about that. If you search blockchain commons, I think I kind of said that yeah, it's kind of like a, a Trojan horse for capitalism. It's getting all these big corporates on, on, on board because they see a way to cut costs and make more profits. But it's actually helping like dissolve their power in the process. But that's what they're doing anyway. Like, you know, through contracting out and franchising and all that. And, 
you know, what's happening with Uber and so on. It's all based around this illusion of decentralisation mm -hmm. while power is still centralised. Yeah, uh, can uh, I, I make just, a comment? You go, minute, uh, you go, I think there's a different right, level of transparency yeah, in the um, transactions of a distributed ledger, which don't, for example, for a large bank. Uh, which don't exist in a large bank and that there'll be um, the, the data that's available through that and that that's transparent is is going to make a difference and basically for a bank for example their, their business model is is virtually gone because it's a peer-to-peer -peer model so you don't need a mediator you don't need a bank to do your transaction so I, from my point of view I think it will transform particularly first financial then legal and I think it's going to have a it will have quite a big flow on effect through the, the whole corporate world. I just forgot to mention that. Um, yeah, you can go and join the um, the, the Brisbane Ethereum meetup. Just Google Brisbane Ethereum meetups, and we've got our next meetup on Wednesday night at, at Fishburners in Queen Street Mall. Awesome! Bring it one more round for our amazing speaker today. Oh, that was fast.